You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. All right, folks, phase six and fall camp is underway here at the University of Florida and plenty to talk about here at the forefront of Gators football. Joining me from 24-7 Sports, Graham Hall. And Graham, I'm just going to say it right now, man. What a week for Florida Gator football recruiting. I mean, you talk about raising the bar, not to use a cliche here, or even be over-exaggerating. I think the ceiling was elevated this weekend not just for Billy Napier's first full recruiting cycle, which we're going to get to here in a minute, but you saw the ceiling grow exponentially in my mind with the new center and then the huge 2024 commitment that came on the heels of that move-in date. It was a huge weekend for this program, absolutely. And I think that it can actually lead to a lot of recruiting buzz heading into the weekend for Florida, a lot of momentum at a kind of a, an odd time here this dead period you're seeing a lot of recruiting momentum for florida which is just extremely extremely positive if you're a fan yeah absolutely and uh we'll break it all down here man uh first off florida adds elite depth to their defensive line this whole weekend and first it would come in the form of top 100 defensive linemen here kelby collins he chooses florida over the hometown school he's six foot five 280 pounds ranked the 70th player in the 24-7 sports composite, in the 2023 class nationally, in the sixth-ranked defensive lineman here in the nation. And, Graham, how important was it for Florida to take on Nick Saban once again for a highly touted recruit in his own hometown and come out of here with a victory? Yeah, this is someone that Alabama, Georgia, Clemson were all after. I mean, the top-ranked player now in Florida's class on 24-7 sports composite rankings this is a guy that addresses a huge need for Florida. I know you've talked about it a lot, the interior of the defensive line. They have made up a lot of recruiting deficits in the past through the transfer portal, but that's going to catch up to you eventually in my mind. And I think that's in danger of catching up to Florida this season. So you had to, moving forward, identify it on the recruiting trail. Give Sean Spencer a whole lot of credit and give, you know, I say this too, too little, really, but give a lot of credit to the support staff without a lot of guys in that room, grad assistants, Callie James is one that we're going to talk a little bit about here. when we talk about another commit that Florida just landed, but those guys do a lot of the legwork and they often don't get the credit that they really deserve. And when you land guys like this in sequence who are all willing to commit into a room and they understand, I mean, there's a lot of transparency there. And it means to me that, the recruiting staff, not just the position coach, is doing a really good job communicating with these guys. So I think that that was huge. And right now, in this era, in the NIL era, I think that it's much easier to retain commits after you've landed them. And so while Alabama is certainly going to pursue Collins until the end of the cycle, no doubt about that in my mind, I think that in this era right now, landing a guy this magnitude, you can really sit here and be like, okay, we have a significant chance of actually signing him, even though Billy Napier did come out today and said, hey, verbal commits mean a whole lot of things. These days, we're going to have to keep recruiting a lot of these guys. We can't just think that we have them in the fold. And with that philosophy, I have no doubt that they'll be successful moving forward. Right. That whole story of recruiting never ends is is true because they commit in August. They cannot be there in February. But uh, as Josh Pate said, man, 90% of the kids that, that commit in a class usually – stay in the class and don't go elsewhere. So that's a good pickup there for the University of Florida. And it wouldn't stop there as Florida dips into the IMG Academy territory again. Uh, Will Norman, out of nowhere, also commits to the University of Florida. Another defensive lineman. He's six foot five, 290 pounds, ranked 143rd nationally per composite and the 21st ranked defensive lineman in the 2023 class. Man, Grant, two significant additions to this defensive line in one day. I think that one kind of surprised me. I just referenced the communication there. There were a lot of people from what I understand in Florida's building that thought that they had a really good chance with Norman, but they really didn't have a good read on his timeline. But this guy clearly from being on campus a couple of weeks ago, from talking to the staff, he felt ready and confident in what he was committing to and wanted to get it out of the way before the season, which is certainly 
something I think we see a lot around this time where guys want to focus on their final season. They want to take some visits. So they kind of want to have a decision made before the season really can begin. And, and the attention of the coaches can turn elsewhere for Norman. He kind of just, you know, when he had the feeling he was ready to commit and that just so happened to be the same day as Kelby Collins. And I think that you get a really strong interior defensive lineman and will, I, I think that he very physical, maybe not as athletic, as Collins right now, but an extremely polished guy who is ahead physically of where a lot of these guys are in their senior year. I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to contribute on the field in his second year, which is as an interior guy, that is extremely difficult. You don't see that too often. We're talking, you know, guys like Shervon Dexter and that company who can end up seeing the field that early. So if his current development maintains and, and pans out, I could see this being a guy who contributes as an underclassman in a lot of programs here and to land two of those guys in one day, like I said, that is a a ceiling shifter in a sense that raises the bar exponentially when it comes to not just the talent at the position group, but how selective you can be moving forward. If they were to miss out on some of these guys, they'd be really difficult because like you said, 90% of commit stick and looking at who remains. I mean, if they didn't missed out on some of these guys, they would have been settling for some options that I think, are a little bit behind where the talent level of uh, Collins and Norman are right now. I'll say that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And that'll put two IMG Academy kids in our class. It is. I'm finally grateful that we are able to uh, open up that IMG Academy pipeline sort of there. So great addition here to the class and two of the highest rated recruits in this class as well. And it wouldn't stop for the defensive line this weekend. You turn the page to the next day. Top 200 defensive lineman Cameron James commits to Florida. He stands six foot six, 265 pounds, ranked 221st per 24-7 sports composite and the 35th defensive lineman in the class. And I'll say this. I know rivals put in their ranking not too long ago, and I think it went from like 188 to 221. I mean, but this guy has been a riser in this class, and a lot of scouts are taking notice. I mean, you folks over at 24-7 sports have him ranked in your soul rankings at 179 right now and the 26th-ranked defensive lineman in the class. But, man, you go to on three, these people are believing in him a lot. They have him ranked in the five-star range, the 23rd player overall, the 2023 class, and the third-ranked defensive lineman in the class as well. And I'm not trying to bring up other competitor sites here, Graham. I know you folks all work together. You respect each other's work. But you see that, and I expect this guy, Cameron Javes, to probably climb up really fast in his composite, wouldn't you say? I think so. Absolutely. I think that he's, he continues to get a lot of what I would call, I guess, let's just call it recognition. I think, I mean, yeah. two people can look at the film and see completely different things in my mind. And they go to different camps, of course. And like you, I respect everyone's evaluations and I'm not saying that every evaluation is correct on our end. Certainly, you know, there's open to interpretation. I'll say that, but I think everyone agrees that this is a guy who has a chance to be a contributor in the SEC early in his time. And and what I mean is, I think, within the first three years, whether he sees the field as a freshman in red shirts or whether he's able to contribute in year two, which is certainly not out of the question here. I think this is someone that everyone, based on the scheme, will determine his timeline for getting on the field. There are some sites, like you mentioned, that see him as, as a steal of a class for some people who can come in once like right away and start contributing and pushing other guys in the room. I think that certainly is possible for, for Cameron here at Florida. My big question is, I I think how he's going to be used because, you know, I mentioned Collins, I can see him being an interior guy who can get over 300 pounds and, and Norman, I think it's pretty set, but with James, I'm very interested to see how he's used at Florida. I I have no doubt that he's going to be really, really good. But once um, that's more clear in my mind, and I could be totally off base here with this of course but this is a guy that is just incredibly intelligent from what i've heard plays with an edge physical and i have no doubt that once he gets into the collegiate program that's only going to continue so to land three of those guys that are all in the same you know unit is it's pretty rare in my mind also because so often you are talking about players that want playing time and they want to have a clear cut role and they want to know that they're going to have a chance to see the field early. It seems that the positive outlook that many people could easily have is that all these guys 
are not scared of competing and want to go to a place where they're going to be around other high profile, highly talented guys who are going to push them. That's easily the way I could see this optimistically. When you land three defensive linemen in a 24 hour span, you got to think that they all knew this was going to happen. The communication aspect, like I said, and then you factor in that that's not scaring them away. You easily can think that, Hey, this is a unit that, um, it wants to all push each other forward. And, and that matters more to me, what I'm getting at than where guys are ranked right now in the rankings, whether they're 170 or 70, I think that you would rather have someone who is not scared off by someone ranked a hundred places higher than them coming into play in the same position, because ultimately that guy is fairly confident that they can compete for, for reps there alongside them. Yeah, and with this staff, they have proven that they will play the best player on the field. They don't care about where you're ranked. If you're a senior, junior, freshman, sophomore, they will play you no matter what, as long as you're the best player on the field. So it's a good addition there to have this defensive line. And, and you know, the, the staff, they say they want to control the line of scrimmage. And picking up these three on top of what they already got is just phenomenal. I mean, it leaves Florida now with five defensive linemen in this class and one edge rusher in Isaiah Nixon. So technically, I'll add him to this equation as well. Six defensive linemen, one inside of the top 100, one inside of the top 150, one scratching the surface of that top 150, one inside of the top 200, one inside of the top 250, and one scratching the surface of the top 250. Every defensive line prospect in Florida's class is inside of that top 250, except one, Gavin Hill, who's ranked around 261 compositely right now. So... I don't care what anyone says. That's some elite prospect to have on your defensive line, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'm a huge fan of Gavin Hill. I mean, if that guy is rounding out the class, I mean, from what I heard when he was on campus in June, he blew people away in the building with his workout, how sound his technique looked, and he looked much more physically developed than I think that they thought he was from a couple months prior. I mean, if that's the guy, quote unquote, rounding out, your defensive line class. I'm not saying that you're insinuating that, but some people are going to look at the rankings and think that, Oh, this is good. You know, a guy that's farther off than the rest. And that's just not true in mind. This is an extremely, extremely solid position group for this cycle. I, I think that you could make the case that they're the best position group right now. And for the Gators in the class of, of 2023. And I mean, the chance is that it gets better. I, I don't know necessarily, but when you look what they already have, it, it's hard to to argue that they could do even better right now. And part of that is going to be because of all the units right now on the team, and not to be a downer in any way here, but of all the units on the team, now that Billy Napier and his coaching staff have had eight months, what, to assess everything and, and to get through the building and, and see what they have, that third defensive line spot this season is going to be a big point of emphasis when it comes to making sure that they have a guy who can produce there, whether it's Jalen Lee, whether it's Chris McClellan, whether it's Tyreek Sapp, one of those guys is going to have to play a lot of, a lot of reps in my mind. And you're talking about a freshman, a fourth year guy in Lee who really hasn't contributed too much dating back to, you know, even before that COVID year, right before when he got on campus, and I mean, you got some guys, Jalen Humphreys behind them. Yeah. Desmond Watson. I think a lot of people were expecting him to take the leap, but what I'm saying basically is you really have, you're going to be able to show right now this season that young guys are going to be able to step in who have a high profile in play this season. I mentioned McClellan. That is one of Florida's top signees from the last class, top 100 guy. He was a top 10 defensive tackle. From what I'm hearing, he is going to see the field this season. So when you can go out there and recruit off of that, recruit off the reps available, talk about the depth, and then you actually get into the season and guys can see that, that is going to firm up a lot of the beliefs about, hey, this is what's going to happen when they actually see it come to fruition. Because, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids are aware that, coaches are going to lie to them in the recruiting trailer. They're not going to sell the situation like it really is. They're going to tell them what they want to hear. When a lot of these defensive linemen see what Florida has around uh, Javon and Princely this season, 
I think that it's going to confirm a lot of what they've already been told that there's playing time available. If you're a talented guy and you can get on the field in your first two years in Gainesville, you're going to get a lot of reps in Gainesville that you wouldn't get in another SEC city. So that I think is what is most impressive to me. I, I would be less surprised by some of these commitments if this had happened middle of the season when, when we're sitting here talking about Florida's defensive line, potential issues there and the need for help. And you know, you know what I'm saying? That would make more sense yeah. to me, but landing them now kind of tells me that they've been realistic with them, communicated to them what the situation is and, it's only going to be kind of more firmed up and confirmed once we get into the season. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And, and Billy Napier came out and said it when he first had his own first, I think his first or second press conference, he said, we need depth. So uh, he wasn't bashful or shy about it. He came out and straight out said, we need depth. And they did a fantastic and phenomenal job in defensive line recruiting, especially this week. And I know I started with the defensive line because that was pretty much the story of the weekend here, Graham, but it, that wasn't it. We need linebackers too, right? Well, Florida did some work last week and this weekend, but first let's start with the flipping season here. Florida flips linebacker Jaden Robinson from South Carolina and gets their first linebacker commit here for the 2023 cycle. Uh, Robinson, 32nd ranked linebacker in the class, is ranked overall by 24-7 Sports Composite as the 378th player here nationally. I know you folks look like y'all you have them, don't have a ranking for him yet, but y'all have him ranked 29th here as the 29th linebacker of the nation. What do you think about this one, man? Yeah, this is an interesting one to me. I, I think that Jaden Robinson can be really good. I have more questions about him when it comes to how quickly he can see the field at Florida. And I would love to eat crow. Trust me. I mean, a local guy, Lake city guy, you always want to kind of keep those guys in your area. If you can, if you want them, I mean, if Florida wanted this guy and he would have sticked to South Carolina, you, you and, a bunch of other people could righteously be, you know, saying that they lost a recruiting battle to South Carolina. So showing that you can flip a guy from South Carolina, especially coming off of a year where South Carolina, I hate to bring this up, David, but South Carolina had embarrassed the Gators last year. What was it? 40 yeah. to 17. Yeah. they. Did. I mean, they could easily recruit off of that in my mind. And Shane Beamer coming back his second year, they have a lot of momentum. They've got a good quarterback of all the years that a coach could come into this area into this, I mean, county even really. I mean, we're right outside Alachua County right now talking about a guy from Lake City. To come in within an hour away from Gainesville and take someone as a fellow SEC program when Billy has been so thoughtful about establishing this 500-mile radius, per se, of this recruiting footprint, getting local guys. And, you know, I was talking with someone earlier here that you could look at a lot of these current SEC classes, like take LSU, for example, and look at all the state's that these guys come from, I mean, that's a program that is used to landing guys from Louisiana and Louisiana solely. And you look right now at what former Notre Dame coach Brian Kelly is doing with the Tigers. I mean, he's landing kids from every state, which kind of tells me that he's relying a lot on his previous connections when he was with the Irish and the connections of his assistants who were in communication with those guys last year at various stops and still are, you know, relying on that. That's less of a longevity conducive approach is I guess the word that I would use that will work well this year. And you may sign a top 10, top five class, even this year off of that. But are you establishing a recruiting footprint? Are you showing that you can in your home state showing that you could land kids, in proximity that you can get on campus consistently, not have to bend over backwards to convince them to come travel and see the program. That is the stuff that in my mind pays dividends. What you were just talking about landing IMG Academy prospects, landing guys that are legacy players that we're going to talk about here in a sense. And then talking about guys who are within your one hour area, not letting the, you know, highly talented guys, from this area get out and escape you know the, the Jarrett Gibsons and you name it guys who are from this area have connections you should want to land them if they are these players who are on your list and, and you should kind of feel a little bit protective in a sense of landing them getting Robinson I think that that is a huge recruiting win for Florida more than anything it shows that Billy will go toe-to-toe -to -toe with an SEC program just like Kelby Collins shows and 
with Alabama and, and Cameron James shows with Georgia showing that Billy can go toe to toe with these fellow SEC head coaches and land recruits in his area that were committed elsewhere. I think that's huge in my mind. Uh, let's throw out the significance of rankings and where someone may play, what linebacker spot and all that speculation. As fun as it is, I, I think it, it means less about the current situation and where a coach currently is. Napier, this is a win for him showing that he can build the footprint in the state, flip from an SEC program. I mean, it's one thing to win a recruiting battle against a, uh, an Alabama or a Georgia in my mind, because if that kid doesn't pan out, you can easily say, oh, well, see, that's why they didn't want them. Or you could easily say, hey, that program, you know, they didn't really want that kid. It could devalue the, the win in a sense. When someone's already committed elsewhere, and you flip them away from that program, there's really no argument. The other fan base is just kind of licking their wounds in a sense, and the other head coach is just realizing that their program is not on the caliber. That's what they're telling themselves, rather than the fact that they lost a head-to-head battle with a first-year SEC head coach. I think that Florida fans right now, if they're going to look at anything having to do with with Jaden Robinson, they should look at what it means for Billy's ability to flip from a fellow SEC program which is never an easy thing, especially like when we're talking about in the NIL era and what you just said earlier, 90% of guys end up sticking with a program. If you can flip one, you should absolutely look at that as a win and a sign of the recruiting prowess of your head coach and, and their assistants. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I looked at the numbers, I, I talked to Bill Sykes a lot. He's, he's big on recruiting. And I think the chances of a flip each season is like 2% maybe three tops if you flip a guy. And for Florida, like you said, to be able to compete with the SEC head coaches, compete with all the other guys like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, but then to actually even flip somebody from South Carolina with Beamer, it's pretty pretty good cue to have in, in, in your, uh, I guess, your hat of tricks or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, it's good to see that we're not only competing with the elite coaches in the SEC and getting these recruits, but we're also flipping them when we want them to. So we're taking them not really at will, but we're taking them if we really want them and we're applying that pressure. And, you know, so Jaden Robinson, he winds up in the class from South Carolina and that adds a linebacker for this class. And that wasn't all for linebackers. Uh, Florida wouldn't be done. And they would look, they would take an elite prospect here from Atlanta, Georgia here, future top linebacker in the 2024 class, a top 50 guy, Miles Graham, a legacy, as you said, Graham. Uh, this will be Florida's first commit of the 2024 cycle. So they're starting it out here with a bang. Uh, he is second ranked in the country at linebacker per 24-7 sports composite and ranked 52nd nationally per 24-7 sports composite. And I can't lie, Graham. It's always good to start your recruiting class with an elite recruit, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You have to make sure that you maintain them, obviously, and and not to give you a little PTSD here in a sense, David, but I know that a lot of people remember when Dan Mullen started off well with the class of 2022. A couple years out, Florida landed some top targets. I mean, I know a lot of people tried to forget about that because it ultimately ended up not meaning a, a dang thing here, but... I think that the point still stands. You have to go out and land blue chip prospects to start your next class. If you want to be able to go out and then hit all the positions that you need to hit, you need to have someone who buys in early and often it's a quarterback. You you get a top quarterback in the fold early and they can recruit wide receivers, offensive linemen really help you out with your entire offense. And because they are often, the guy who has the single most chance of elevating your ceiling here. So when you talk about a guy in miles Graham, though, I got to be honest before I say this, this is when I kind of start feeling a little bit old and I I never really feel old. I mean, I I feel sometimes like an old soul, you know, but I'm still in my final year of my twenties here, you know? And I remember vividly when Ernest Graham played, I mean, that's some of my earliest memories. I also, I recounted this when I first joined the beat, but I didn't really know another Graham growing up until I saw a Graham on the back of, you know, his Jersey. And I was eight years old and that was such a lasting memory for me knowing that, you know, that was 21 years ago. And now we're talking about him having a 17 year old son. He has a sophomore who attends UF as well, a sophomore daughter. And now 
it's looking like his son is going to help lead the recruiting efforts for Florida's 2024 class. That is incredibly huge. I, let, let me just call it like it is to have the name familiarity of Ernest Graham to be able to talk about a guy who played, you know, for Steve Spurrier, who now is kind of bridging the gap between Napier and Spurrier. And Billy Napier talked about this today, even at his press conference, when you have, a, you know, this is the right time, right place type thing. I mean, Spurrier has a restaurant. They've got former players now with kids from that era running around that they can recruit off of Spurrier's back in Gainesville. I mean, all the recruiting advantages that they really have at, at Billy Napier's disposal right now, there's a laundry list of them. If you ask me, I mean, there's a lot of, just positivity that they can build off of. And when you get a guy whose dad, like I said, played for Spurrier, and then he buys back into your program and is willing to come out and recruit. When Blake Alderman at 24-7 Sports talked to Miles Graham, he said that he wants to be this leader of the class, the foundation piece that can start bringing in other guys into the fold. And when you have a guy who has played on both sides of the ball, he also has played running back, who knows kind of how both sides tick and can help look for talent and talk to guys. That is an incredibly valuable tool at your disposal here. So I think that a massive weekend for the Gators and on the recruiting trail, absolutely. But, and we'll talk about this here in a second, but the player experience standpoint, you know, people often talk about NIL and a winning record when it comes to landing recruits and, and absolutely those stuff, that stuff does matter. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter here, but when you open up a new facility and you have massive recruiting wins that same weekend and flip players, and then the entire response is about how you are taking care of the current players on campus and raising the bar, that matters a lot more in my opinion. And I, I absolutely, I could see why someone doesn't think that, but this was a, like I said, when we started this, this was a ceiling changing weekend for the Florida program in many, many ways. Yeah. And I don't know if that was planned or not. It didn't seem like it was, but yeah, it just seemed like a bunch of good news just hits the university of Florida, especially with recruits and everything. And I like the fact that you brought up, uh, you know, miles Graham here. Um, I'm glad you brought him up because I mean, a couple cycles ago, we had Sam McCall, a five-star, I think he was an athlete in the class, and wound up decommitting and going to Florida State. So, you know, Billy Napier talks about when you get these recruits, you also got to continue to recruit them because they could go somewhere else and flip somewhere else. So it's good to see that at least we got him in the class to start off with an elite recruit, and hopefully we can keep him in the class that way it doesn't wind up like a Sam McCall situation. But we won't know until uh, the 2024 recruiting class and that cycle gets here. And it's good to, like I said, to start out with an elite recruit because other elites want to play with other elites. And Florida now sits at a whopping 90% blue chip ratio in their class, which would be the highest blue chip ratio in the top 10. Uh, they are now ranked 10th nationally with 18 four-stars, only two three-star recruits of folks they're not done yet, but we'll just have to wait and find out, though, with what they're not done with. But, Graham, when was the last time you seen Florida with this big of a blue chip ratio? I would have to go back probably to before I was really following recruiting. I mean, you maybe the 2012 class is one that comes to mind right away. Uh, I know that certainly there were a lot of five stars, highly rated guys in that class, and and that boosted the overall number. But I don't think they had the same blue chip rating as this this current class does. I mean, let me let me say it like that. I'm trying not to get too high on that right now. I'm not trying to be a downer here by saying that because I do obviously think that Florida may be open to if some of these losses happen like are possible that they could be poached by other programs. I do think that is still a possibility. So I would just caution anyone who is already counting these as a win that, you know, they do it. Like you just said, David have to maintain a lot of these guys. And if they can do that and it's November and December, then absolutely. I'm going to sit here and say that this is the most highly touted class as a collective, not to use that, that buzzword that everyone loves, but as a collective, this class is across the board thorough. And I think that that'll bring some freshness here because for so long, you know what I'm about to say. 
fans would have to sit here and say, hey, well, you know, rankings don't mean much. It's about development. Or the head coach would come out and say, well, you know, we have some of these guys ranked <laughs> differently on our board than some of the lists out there. Those statements have always been kind of defensive in my mind and skewing the reality in a sense here, knowing that they won't have to come out there and say that, say that we hit our needs at our position we recruited against the best and we have yet to really have the on-field results to use. That last part, I'm kind of surprised that I haven't seen that too much from fans necessarily. I mean, here's the, here's really the, you know, the water carrying sunshine pumping perspective in my mind is Florida is competing in a built a top 10 class. And if you look at the other teams in that list, I think only one of them had a worse record than the Gators last year. And so when you get players to buy in when, before you can even point to actual results, that I think speaks to the prowess a lot more than people are giving credit for in my mind. When you can go out there, I knew that I knew that Brian Kelly, like I said, was going to have a solid class. He always did it in Notre Dame. Even though LSU didn't really have the on-field results last year, they have a recent championship that is going to help them as well, that they can point to, and there are guys on the roster who won a championship, right? Florida doesn't even have that for the new coach to come in and and use at their disposal. So when you talk about the six and seven record and having a top team class before ever coaching a game, that's what is so impressive to me. And it's not just the where guys are ranked and it, the overall thing is that they have not even coached a game and it still could be a seven and five season, you know, knock on wood here. And it, they could still retain all of those guys. If they were to do that, that would speak volumes to me more so than the blue chip ratio right now. And the, even the recruiting footprint, like I said, if they can maintain guys, have them stay invested and bought in through a potentially seven and five, eight and four season, that, I, that would lead me to, I think, breathe a sigh of relief that this thing is going to fall together, fall apart rather than stick together here at the very end, because that I still think is a possibility, sadly. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. And I guess a, a head coach like like Billy Napier or somebody like Brian Kelly could also sell them on the fact that, well, I'm not coaching the, the players that I recruited either. Maybe sell them on something like that and say, hey, you were the guys that I want in, whatever. But I, I get where you're coming from there. I mean, as I said, you consistently got to be recruiting these guys daily, no matter what the record is or anything like that. So we'll see what happens. It's good to look at now, and hopefully it'll be even better to look at in the month of February. And, and, and Graham, I know you don't got much time left, man. I know we're going to go a little bit over fall camp here. Some nuggets, you know, Ricky Purzel, he went down with a, it looked like a bone bruise on his foot. Uh, what's the status real quick on Ricky Purzel? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, and I don't want to be, you know, killed as being the messenger, but I guess I'll just come out and clear up what I've heard. When you think bone bruise, I think that some people think, oh, he's got a bruise. He can come back within a week. But if you've ever had one of those, you know how painful it can be. Yeah, And I want to defend some of the initial reporting here, even though I don't have to. But the indefinitely term is related to how well he is going to manage playing through this. If Ricky comes out and practice, and before the end of fall camp, in my mind, that's going to tell me that he's playing through a lot of pain and that he's able to manage it better than they initially feared. This could be something, unfortunately, that lingers for a month, if not longer, and causes him discomfort to the point where he cannot play at 100%. He loses some of his speed and he's grimacing out there. That could certainly be a realistic possibility. I mean, this could be something that I don't want to I don't want to undersell this here it is possible that this could keep him off the field for week 1 that is absolutely possible my gut tells me he will attempt to work his way back over the coming weeks and go through preparation for the Utah game even if he's not 100% they're going to attempt to have him back by week 1 
that doesn't mean that he won't be managing the pain for the next month, the next couple of weeks, possibly. This could be something that goes on for six, seven weeks. Who knows? But my gut tells me is that the time that it happened early on, knowing that he could power through it theoretically, I, I wouldn't rule him out for any games right now. But is it going to be something where I think he's going to run back on the field this week or even next week? Let me shut that down right now. I don't think that's going to happen. If it happens, I'll eat crow on social media, of course. I think that'd be a really positive sign for him. But I also think that that would be rushing back a guy who has been fantastic throughout camp and throughout the summer that you wouldn't need to rush back for this type of injury, knowing that resting him more just allows him to possibly return at full strength sooner. So with all that said, I would caution everyone to, you know, pressure him to get back or, or be curious about when he comes back. This should be a thing that they let be week to week rather than day to day and let him work his way back from over the next three weeks so that when that Utah game is, is coming up here in the final week, they can attempt to have him play through the pain and, and see the field. Right now, I don't think you should see him for the rest of fall camp for precautionary reasons. Now, I'm not a doctor. He could return. He could be ahead of his recovery where some other people are. He could have a higher pain tolerance than a lot of other people. Those are the things that make it indefinitely in my mind. But right now, I would expect them to be cautious with him in the build up to that first week of game prep heading into Utah. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to have him for you, Todd. He'll be 100%. If not, then uh, I guess that's just going to be a game-time decision and a decision from the coaching staff there and the medical uh, advisors. And uh, I know Billy Dapier, he talked to the media today. I want to get your thoughts here defensively. Uh, he talked about the uh, defense playing well, not allowing the uh, red zone scoring drives, which plagued Florida last year. They let teams score 82% of the time when they were in the red zone. Now, we know the defense has had its struggle in tackling penalties, stopping counterplays under Todd Grantham. How's the defense looking at some of these scrimmages real quick? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that right now the setup should be favorable for the defense, right? I mean, you've got three guys in that front seven that outside of Osiris Torrance and Justin Shorter are your most experienced guys on the field. I mean, Trevon Dexter is a man among boys right now. I'm, I mean, I talked to him before the scrimmage, and he was so pumped. And then he dominated, absolutely, in that scrimmage. I mean, credited with multiple sacks, um, some coverage sacks as well that he was was in on. This is a guy that is absolutely great. And then you talk about Ventrell Miller and Brenton Cox. I mean, that's, that's nearly half of your front seven that I think is incredibly impressive in my mind. And then you have Jason Marshall, a guy who didn't participate in the scrimmage, but you have some other corners that they're really high on. Avery Helm is having a really good camp. I've heard Ethan Pouncey has really stepped it up as well. Jalen Kimber has been a ball hawk. I mean, this defense, and that's before even factoring in that they return both starting safeties. And what a, you know, not to put you on the spot here, David, but if what everyone has said is true over the last few years, that the scheme was lowering the ceiling for Florida's players, a change in scheme should, in theory, just raise the ceiling, right? So, right. You factor all that in. You factor in you get Brenton Cox back. You factor in Jermon Dexter is making another step. You factor in that you have another five-star corner to replace your five-star corner in Kyrie Elam, who's in the NFL now. And I would be a little bit surprised if the defense was not showing out in camp, right? Because they've worked more on tackling. They have more familiarity between those starting 11 guys than the offense does. I mean, the offense is bringing back, uh, you know, they're working in two starting offensive linemen in Michael Tarquin and Osiris Torrance. Yeah, guys with experience, but, you know, you have to get down a lot of the intangibles, the intricate details, the intrinsic aspect, and the chemistry. I hate to use that buzzword even, but you need that chemistry along the offensive line. And that, I think, has taken a little bit more time than some of these other position groups when it comes down to the familiarity process, because you don't need that really when it comes to the, the running backs and you don't need that with the quarterbacks, the wide receiver unit also with Florida having to go out and get Ricky Pearsall and then giving him the number one Jersey 
it's hard not to take that as an indictment of the rest of the guys on the roster. If I'm Xavier Henderson or I'm Jaquan, uh, Jaquavion Frazier's or Jamarcus Weston, I mean, I'm sitting there feeling as if like, this is a chip on my shoulder right now. Right. Because you were talked about since before you arrived on campus as a guy who was going to step up, be better than your ranking suggested, you name it. And then you have to go out and identify an- another guy. Same with tight ends. I mean, the, the, set up right now moving to 12 man using this, these two tight end sets in a season the same season where in spring you lost multiple guys to injuries and have three freshmen coming in and one of those freshmen didn't even end up enrolling you know what i'm saying there are more reasons right now for the offense and this is before even getting into the fact that they're not even having anthony do uh, you know a lot of what they're going to have him do out there on the field for some precautionary reasons when you factor all that stuff in together, I would be a little bit more concerned if the defense wasn't having a good camp. And what that means is taking off the quarterback, you know, giving them their confidence back that to make plays on the ball, getting into, you know, the backfield, knowing that some offensive linemen like Ethan White missed that scrimmage, right? Yeah. If the defense had, had been torn up by the offense, if I was a Florida fan and I had heard that Florida's offense tore up the defense, I would be extremely worried. Yeah, you kind of always want to have good news on both sides of the ball. So it's like, it's good to hear that the defense is doing well, but you also want to hear that offensively they're doing well too. Some of these backup quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson, all of that. Uh, real quick, I know I know you got to go soon. How's the offensive side of the ball doing? Yeah, and that doesn't mean that all the offense is, is doom and gloom. I mean, I think that, let's talk about Jack Miller because I... I know he's not really in consideration to start, but this guy is not just, you know, fodder on the roster here or anything like that. What he did, I think, is really impressive. He arrived in January, and there were two guys on the roster who had spent a full year in the program, had worked with the receivers, and a guy in Carlos Del Rio Wilson, who was an Elite 11 finalist, right? So, Right. You talk about two guys on the roster that should have been maybe set up a little bit more favorably. And yeah, there was the connection between Napier and Jack Miller from Arizona state. And there was some familiarity there. Absolutely. But you have a guy that got here in January, beat out several quarterbacks, looked better in a, in a lot of ways than Emory Jones at, at times. And then has really embrace the challenge of not settling for that second string role necessarily. He has been very involved in working with the ones has grown tremendously. I mean, he looks good. I mean, he's got some wheels even. I know, I don't know a lot of people, you know, think that he's, he's not a quick quarterback, but this is a guy who can get in the open field. He can run the read option. I mean, he can do a lot of what Richardson can do when it comes to running the offense. Is he, is he as dynamic? No. But he is a very capable quarterback. This is a huge land in the transfer portal in my mind. It made it so they didn't have to go out and go get another transfer portal-type quarterback in the offseason. And that was when Del Rio Wilson left and Emory Jones left. And Jalen Kitna is dealing with a lower body injury that is going to limit him for the rest of the season, is what I'm told. His mobility is really limited right now. So getting Jack Miller and having him be capable enough to lead a significant amount of reps in the scrimmage and have him get better and have that decided that clear cut number two right there. I think that gives Florida, that gives Florida a lot. I'll be, I'll be completely honest because there's going to be games, hopefully right where Florida has a double digit lead and maybe they don't need to risk having Richardson out there, especially if he's been dealing with anything behind the scenes possibly. So knowing that they can turn to Miller and he's going to, you know, be a decisive thrower, knows the playbook, knows what he's doing, is confident, and the team trusts him. That's just a huge, that's a huge boost for this team in my mind. I'm, like I said, I'm surprised more people don't mention him. Did he have some turnovers in the scrimmage? Yeah. Are people going to judge you by your turnovers? Yeah. But he's doing a lot right behind the scenes and making it so that this, this team feels a lack of, urgency in a sense to accelerate the development of guys like Richardson where they can 
have him learn on the fly and not throw too much at him at once and not feel like it's, it's, you know, do or die with him at quarterback because it really isn't. Is there a noticeable difference between the two? Yeah. But having a quality backup in my mind, I still think that that's a, an underrated type tool because often as Florida fans definitely know a quality backup can due to injury sometimes, or whether outperforming the starting quarterback, a quality backup will see the field when you least expect it. And being prepared for that moment can kind of make the difference in a losing record and a winning record. Yeah, absolutely. You always want to see the backup quarterback doing pretty well at practice as well. I mean, I, I know Richardson, he's, he's threw a couple picks in practice. So is Jack Miller. So it's not that every single quarterback is doing bad or good. It's you're seeing defensive play. You're seeing uh, the defense keep the team out of the red zone. So you really want to see good defensive play and good offensive play, which is what you're seeing both of, according to what we've been hearing from Napier and some of the coaching staff in these press conferences. So, Graham, I know you have to go, man. You're doing killer work out there for 24-7 sports. I know you'll be out there again today. What do you got coming up for us at 24-7? Just got a lot of material coming up here. I'll be writing a little bit more about the scrimmage here later today. We got some stuff about the facility that's dropping as well. And then some practice notes will be coming up a little bit later as you record this. Uh, with me right now and in less than 90 minutes Florida's going to be taking the practice field again so I'll be out there as well you make sure you follow us at 24-7 sports and follow me on Twitter at Graham Hall underscore no we're just going to have to link up again pretty soon here and talk this team and and what their prospects are knowing that they're going to be facing the number what seven team in the nation in the AP rankings that came out today in Utah I mean I can't think of the last time Florida opened as an underdog against the top 10 team ranked team at home that hasn't happened since I've been alive. I don't think absolutely. So it's going to be absolutely a unique experience here in a couple of weeks. And we're going to have to make sure that we, we talk about it a little bit again before that, that happens, man. Yeah, we'll definitely be keeping in touch during the season, getting some scrimmage, uh, getting some notes. You keeping us updated out there on Twitter. And as you said, you can follow Graham Hall on Twitter as well to get all of those updates. Graham, thank you for joining me really quick on this episode of Getting Swapped. And uh, get back out there. Give us some updates, man. You got it, man. Thanks for having me, Dave. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Man, oh man, what a weekend it was for recruiting. And if you watch some of these preseason NFL games this past week, I'm hoping you logged into prize picks and used promo code SWAP to put some extra cash in your wallet while making some cash also on your pickums. Join prize picks right now with promo code SWAP to receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 on your first deposit. Prize picks offers every sport you can think of, like NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. Prize picks also allows mixed sports entries. You could take the over on LeBron combined with the under on Mahomes and the over on Shroud, who happens to be one of my favorite esports players. So there's just so many options. Prize Picks has an award winning, easy to use mobile app, both in the App Store and Google Play. Prize Picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Prize Picks is also rated at a 4.8 star rating in the App Store and has thousands of reviews, folks. So once again, your boy David Soderquist is helping you out by giving you an instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code SWAPPED when you sign up. PrizePicks.com, the easiest way to play daily fantasy sports. You're listening to Getting Swapped with David Soderquist. All right, that was Graham Hall from 24-7 Sports breaking down some of these recruits we got over the weekend and some of them we got last week and some of the linebackers that we have for 2023. And Miles Graham, the legacy linebacker there, the top 50 guy of the 2024 class. Some really good news on the horizon here for Florida in recruiting. And as they said, it is not over with yet, folks. Some of these uh, players that are in this class, they're tweeting that out. So we'll just have to wait and see this week to see What's next on the horizon in Florida Gator recruiting? But man, it's heating up so much. And you know, Graham didn't have much time to talk about the scrimmages. I know he gave us some good info there. But uh, Billy Napier, he took to the media today and talked a little bit about scrimmage and uh, the Hebner Center that just recently opened up. And we will discuss that on the second part of Getting Swamped coming up.
Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream, or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout-out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom-fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, you can have that glow of your sign, too, with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout-out on Twitter, at WS Wood Carving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White & Sons Wood Carving. Top-of-the-line signs made from scratch. College programs must be competitive in name, image, and likeness. It impacts current athletes and affects the decisions of recruits. And Gator fans can put Florida at the forefront of NIL. The Gator Collective is leading the charge, uniting fans and student-athletes like never before. Commit for exclusive content, interactions, and events which bring you closer than ever to your favorite players. Also, by joining the Gator Collective, you're empowering these student-athletes to build relationships and develop skills that go far beyond just making money. You're providing an avenue for these Gators to excel in life. NIL will change the landscape of college sports if we can't be left behind. Gator Nation, do your part by joining the Gator Collective today at www.thegatorcollective.com. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist. Your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right, we... Um... Obviously, yesterday was a big deal um, and a big step um, relative to University of Florida and Gator football. Uh, obviously, moving into the Hebner uh, Center is a big deal, you know, and, and I think we'd be remiss here if we didn't thank all the people that have contributed to um, the fundraising, the investment, the contributions, the you know, and all the people that came before us as well, right? To position the program for future success. Um, no question it's gonna affect recruiting. I think more importantly to me, it's gonna affect the quality of experience for the current player uh, and scholar athlete. Um, and the great thing about the Hebner Center is it is gonna be used by all student athletes, right? All 21 sports here at the University of Florida are gonna be able to use the inside and outside lounge area. They're gonna be able to use the Nutrition Performance Center. Um, I also think it's gonna help our organization from an efficiency standpoint. We've even seen that today, right? The amount of time that we're gonna be able to save relative to transition between different meetings, different events with the team. So. Um, can't express our gratitude loudly enough. I'm just so thankful for all those that invested and contributed there. Um, the scrimmage, um, you know, I think for the most part out of there, relatively healthy, um, you know, really good work. Um, you know, I thought both sides of the ball, we've taken steps forward. The film is much cleaner maybe than spring practice. I think fundamentally we're a lot uh, further along um, I do think the communication is improving. Uh, we still have quite a few plays where maybe we were, you know, nine or 10 out of 11 from an execution standpoint. And, you know, I think it, it affects the play, obviously. Um, but overall, good energy. Um, you know, I thought, I thought the intangibles were there. Um, but overall, a lot to learn, and um, I think the big thing is we got we had a very physical scrimmage, but we were able to stay healthy and, and make progress. And obviously, had a chance to watch that film yesterday, and again some this morning. Um, you know, overall, um, I think we're heading in the right direction. All right, Billy Napier opens up there about the Hebner Center, an $85 million facility and how it's going to affect recruiting. But I, I like how he talks about the player experience, allowing all 21 sports to use the facility along with all student athletes, including the nutrition and performance center there as well. So Billy Napier really concentrating on the player experience when an athlete comes to the University of Florida. But Good news on the scrimmage front, man. As he said, getting out healthy, talks about being fundamentally further along than scheduled, improved communication, all the things you like to hear before playing the number seventh ranked team in the nation here on September 3rd. But he also talks about the execution almost being there, but needs to work out some of the kinks there, but talks about the energy and tangibles of the team being there. So that's always good to hear from your head coach. How would you assess the scrimmage overall as far as uh, just? Things like discipline, you know, you talked last week about 
you know, the offside penalties, the holding right. penalties, things. Did you see progress in that respect? Yeah, I think the offensive unit, uh, the first offensive unit was the only team that didn't meet the quota, didn't meet the goal for the day, you know. Um, and I think those are all very correctable, if that makes sense, uh, procedurally. So outside of that, I thought it was pretty clean. We had a full crew in here, um, you know, all college officials that, you know, had a good set of eyes on everything, told them, you know, we agreed to call it just like it was game day. Uh, we wanted to know if we have issues. You know, we wanted to expose those. Uh, next Saturday, we've got a, a full SEC crew coming into town for practice Friday and also the scrimmage Saturday. So uh, putting a premium on that, and uh, I think we're heading in the right direction there. Uh, I thought the defense did a good job of limiting explosive plays. Um, and I think that we didn't score touchdowns in the red area. That was an objective that we didn't meet on offense. And I think those the defense obviously contributes to that. Uh, but overall, uh, we did turn it over a few times. Um, so the quarterback efficiency wasn't what we want it to be. Um, now, does that mean... You know, I mean, I think there are a lot of things contribute to that when you're playing with a mixture of lineups and different positions, different players. So, uh, but it can be better. That's what I would say. Here you go, man. Billy Napier not beating around the bush, talking about the first offensive unit not beating their quota from a procedure standpoint. And, you know, I kind of like that, man. We used to get the, yeah, they're doing great. They're coming along well. No, 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 no. You're getting a straight-up answer from Billy Napier, man. No beating around the bush, but uh, he does talk about it being correctable and such, and uh, I'm sure under this coaching staff, that'll be done, no doubt about that. But besides that, man, he said it was a pretty clean practice. I mean, he also talks about a full SEC crew coming up Friday and Saturday, so things will heat up there in practice with procedure, discipline, and those uh, yellow hankies we don't miss from last year and the year before. So uh, as we discussed, the defense keeping the offense out of the red zone where they struggled two years in a row. So it's good to hear, but you also don't like to hear that the quarterback is turning it over. But at the same time, he did mention they were switching it up with different players and such. So we really can't gauge that far as to how that goes. Recruiting momentum, I know you can't get into specifics, but big weekend. Um, what do you just think about the recruiting momentum you guys have built this summer? Well, I mean, I think um, can't compliment our staff enough, right? I mean, I think we've got, um, we've hired really good people. We're thankful for the administration giving us the resources to create the infrastructure that we do have. Um, you know, from a personnel department standpoint, on-campus recruiting, Gator made uh, the on-field assistance to go. You know, we have, um, you know, I think the old adage, work your plan, plan your work and work your plan, right? I think that's, you know, we talk about that early on. We're going to plan our work. Uh, we're going to work our plan. We're going to be diligent. We're going to be consistent. Um, I think we've got an incredible product to sell in the University of Florida and all that comes with that. You know, um, there's history here, there's tradition here. Uh, there's a, an elite education experience here. Uh, we have an alumni network that can help uh, position our players for success when football's over. Uh, we have one of the best game days, if not the best game day venue in all sports. Um, and I think we're you know, we've got a prime location, right? So I think that we're learning more about our product. I think we're getting more comfortable, you know, with our processes in-house. Um, and I think recruiting um, the intangibles that you challenge your players to have, I think the same things can be said of your staff. So I think what you're seeing here is that the Gators aren't going away on the recruiting trail, right? I mean, we're going we're gonna to follow through. Uh, we're going to be diligent and and look um, verbal commitments mean lots of different things these days right so the finish line is out there you know a few months from now so uh, but i am excited uh, and humbled uh, that you know the caliber of player but more importantly the caliber of person and family that some of these young people come from that they have confidence um, you know in our plan uh, for their son, you know, and, you know, I think we've tried to make a huge emphasis on the commitment to 
all areas of development, right? You know, I think the vision here in the beginning was to create an organization that has life-changing impact, right? We're going to work hard at who they are as people. Uh, we're going to prioritize their education, and we're going to teach football at a high level, right? So, um, you know, I think we'll improve as we go, right? This is certainly a sign, you know, that, you know, we're, we're gaining some traction here. Isn't it nice to ask a recruiting question in a presser and just get a straightforward answer and not say, uh, it's not recruiting season. We'll talk about recruiting season when it's the season and, and when the season starts. So it's, a, it's a great thing to hear every time that I go to a Billy Napier press conference and I listen to it and somebody asks a recruiting question and I just get a straightforward, honest-to-God answer. There were three sayings I love from this segment of the presser. Plan your work and work your plan. I love that quote. The intangibles you challenge your players to have, the same thing can be said about your staff. So Billy Napier not only challenging his players, but he challenges his staff from a recruiting, development, and coaching standpoint as well. So I love that Billy Napier has an even playing field for everybody, including the coaching staff and everybody else around him. And the other one that I really like to hear, and this was the best quote of the segment, the Gators are not going away on the recruiting trail. And that's what you love to hear, especially after having a weekend like Florida did this past weekend. You talked about needing eight to ten guys to have an offensive line that you can depend on. Are you seeing that you've got the numbers now uh, in that position? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm very comfortable with that group. You know, I think that there is competition there. I think we know who seven, eight, you know, who's six, seven, and eight are. Uh, we're looking for the next, who's nine, who's 10, you know, who's going to get reps in a game week, who's not, right? Who are rotational players? Um, I think we've got probably eight players that would deserve to play if we had a game today, you know? And then, okay, who's the ninth player? Who's the 10th player? Um, this week in particular here, practice 10 to 15 is going to be very competitive on our football team. You know, I mean, um, I think when we evaluate our team right now, um, you know, we moved out of the hotel yesterday, right? So can we maintain that discipline, you know, now that we're in our normal living circumstance, right? Can we be on time? Can we go to bed at night? Um, you know, can we make our way through the day efficiently in terms of transitioning back and forth from where we live? Um, can we manage the distractions as the students come back into town? Um, you know, one of our things is, can we get the facility and the organization and the players in season ready, right? We're yesterday, I think we're 10 days out before we turn the page uh, to the first game. And I think between now and then, we've got to iron out the wrinkles and we got to uncover any issue that will affect our preparation for a game. Um, I think on special teams, we got to get the game changers game ready, right? We've got a competition at kicker. You know, we've got to improve our operation. We got to get really good at covering kicks and certainly we've got to get ready to make some game changing plays. Those depth charts, there's so much competition on the team relative to who, who's the one, who's the two. Um, you know, I think week four we travel on the road. We're going to have to cut it down to 70, you know, for the travel roster. Overall depth, which your question, um, you know, the offensive line's an area. But I think overall on the whole team, who's earning time? Who's going to earn time, right? We talk about being one of 11 that we put between the lines to represent the University of Florida. Um, and that's a special privilege. Who are those people? And this week, 10 to 15, you know, this is going to be a very – there's going to be some urgency. There's going to be intense, and there's going to be a ton of competition. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, we're really focused on eliminating, you know, anything that has nothing to do with the opponent, right? Undisciplined penalties. Uh, turnovers, mental errors, fundamental and technique issues, the hidden yardage and special teams, all these things that contribute to winning that have nothing to do with who we play or where we play or what time we play. 
All right, Billy Napier talks about offensive line depth, being comfortable with the group, knows who 6, 7, and 8 are on that offensive line, but trying to find that 9 through 15 there and turning up the intensity this weekend and finding that out. He also talks about something I've been harping on for so long, and that is special teams, game changers. Like, how many block kicks, turnovers forced, and punt and kick returns did we see in the last regime? Not many partly because they had some of the wrong guys back there. The other was they just didn't recruit talent to put back there, and when they did, they never used them. I mean, they were dead last in the SEC in special team yardage and points. I mean, that's pretty alarming for somebody like the University of Florida to be dead last in. I don't think I've ever seen that before in a long time, but, you know, Billy Napier, he gets it. He also does talk about this kicking game too on special teams which didn't really look too great in the spring game but hopefully trace back and come in here and shore up some of those worries there but napier man he's he's making these kids earn it that's something you like to see in addition to the facility yesterday you had i think 20 or so players starting to move into stadium house josh thompson said that you actually pointed that out before it was built how important was that initiative for you guys yeah just trying to improve the product that we have to sell right and the player experience um you know, I think that we identified maybe some of the chinks in the armor relative to being competitive in recruiting. We felt like we needed to um, improve the living circumstance for the players. And, you know, we're very fortunate that we've done that, right? And, um, you know, I think that our guys, you know, I mean, it's right across the street here. It's within proximity of campus, the Hebner Center, Hawkins. I mean, everything that they need. I think is right here at their fingertips. So, um, and again, it goes back to the player experience. It goes back to development. It goes back to making the most of your time, creating structure and routine for the player so he can improve, so he can develop habits that will carry over. Uh, and I think we've done that with the stadium house. Billy Napier gets it bad. Uh, that's all I have to say from a facilities to procedure on and off the field to on field production from every position on the field. I mean, he talks about the player experience as well. I mean, it really goes a long way with recruits. We talk about money, NIL deals and such, but parents also like to know that their kid's being taken care of at the University of Florida. And that and, and, and the kids themselves, too, they, they want to be taken care of as well. They want to be developed as a football player. But also, if the NFL doesn't work out or they don't make it to the NFL, they want to make sure they're developed in life and have those skills, get that degree to make sure that they're set up for the future. But folks, man, just a fantastic, phenomenal week. And as you heard out there on social media between, you know, high school players and, and I guess some of the media guys, it ain't over with yet, folks. So we'll just have to see what happens this week. I don't know when or how or who it is, but keep your eyes peeled there. Some of you Facebook people or some of you Twitter people or whatever social media app that you use, keep your eyes peeled because... Like they said, it's not over yet. But folks, that will do it for this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football, statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to Getting Swamped.